If I was actually going to really talk music with somebody serious, I probably wouldn't bring up Bobby Darren. I, I, I love all kinds of music, motherfucker! Um, but seriously, the only music worth listening to is music that was made between 1953 and 1969. And it doesn't matter if it's country, rock and roll, Motown, blues, R&B, soul, psychedelic, country, western, uh, outlaw country. Uh, it doesn't matter what the fuck it is, but if it was made between 1953 to 1969... It's great. And if you want to narrow that down, we could even narrow it down to, to 1957 to 1969. There's no music worth listening to that are not in those years. And that's a fact. And that's a fact. Um, 70s and 80s suck! Oh, also, George Lucas sucks. Uh, and The Mandalorian sucks. And Boba Fett sucks. Uh, and The Bad Batch sucks. And Ray sucks. And Grogu sucks. And uh, everything pretty much sucks. Everything sucks! You've got um, uh, Depeche Mode. These guys are great. But then you had the anti-Depeche Mode. KMFDM. Kill, <laughs> Kill motherfucking, motherfucking Depeche, Depeche Mode. Mode. <laughs> So welcome to the podcast, Fight the Fear podcast, Mr. Casey Mars. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. The big thing, the big reason why I, it hit me to talk with you was also to talk about a common love of music, uh, i.e. albums, vinyl. You know, you can, <laughs> it's, you can touch it. You can, you, can, uh, you can hold this big disc in your hands and look at the art and some of those old double sleeves that would open up and it would be like a storybook. So it, it was just, I don't know, it just always captured my imagination, you know. Well, and I think for me, part of it, you know, it, it kind of, when you, you know, you buy a record and you've got this great record, but sometimes, you know, when you're 16, you're making 285 an hour because that was yeah. minimum wage yep. when I was a kid. Yep. So, I mean, to buy a record felt like a lot of money. So when you bought one that there were like two good songs and everything else was, it didn't even sound like it was part of the same, you know, so those yeah. disappointments were kind of a big deal too. And that's what made it so easy to go to CDs, you know, yeah. at the time it's like, oh, they're smaller, they're compact and I can just skip around. Yeah. I don't end up not liking the record. But then as you get older and you have all these records and all these albums, just as part of your life, you're like 90% of them are great. Yeah. I do want to listen yeah. to them beginning to end. And it does sound better. And it is the big experience. I mean, to see the artwork. I mean, I, I still at the store, I get excited. It feels like Christmas when every day when we get shipment in, I open a box and I'm like, yeah, yeah. so excited to be around the records. On your Instagram, I, I like how you you'll do like a it's like a, what in so like I said, I'm into collecting. So we always do unboxing. Yeah. And it's like this cool little event. It might only be three to five minutes, but I'm going to unbox this thing. And yeah, you've probably seen it, 
But it's just so cool to have that experience of just ripping something open <laughs> like Christmas, you know. And uh, I, so I like that about your videos. I'll watch and it'll just, it might be an album. I don't know who the heck it is. I don't know what it is, but it's just cool to see you flip through and go, oh, I know that one. Right. I know that one. Oh, I want that one, you know. Um, so it was, like I said, growing up, um, we had, we had uh, just tons of albums. How, and, and, and for me, I had older siblings. So mm -hmm. when, you, when you were growing up, did you have older siblings? Yeah, or? I was the baby. Okay. So I, my brother and sister would bring home 45s. Or yeah. I, I mean, and I remember sitting in their room and listening to, uh, we're, I mean, my sister had a big crush on Sean Cassidy. Yep, so I remember yep. Sean Cassidy uh, album. Uh, and I remember singles more with my brother initially. Like 45? Um, 45s, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember the first thing I got was uh, Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 3, or what, yeah, whatever yeah. Uh, And I remember going to, to like, Danner's or something, or three, I, I don't know, some store that doesn't exist, and getting it, and we just, we left it in the car, and it warped, and I just... Oh, no. <laughs> so my mom took it back, you know, and they gave us another one. They were nice enough. The, the warping. Yeah, <laughs> that was the other thing. Like I didn't know. I mean, I'm 10. It I'm was nine, so, I don't know. The medium it was so sensitive. Like yeah. you had to take care of it, you know. And you didn't. I had friends who, when when uh, like uh, record scratching DJs came along, they thought you take the needle across the album and no. they would just ruin zigzags, <laughs> deep scratches into their records. And it's like I don't know how they're doing it. It sounds like that's what they're doing. No. And then another buddy had it figured out. It's this, you yeah. know. And then you see the guys doing the wiki wiki, you know, the joke <laughs> we everybody makes, but. Um, I had that too, but you know, my thing wasn't the, the vinyl itself. It was, I had old three older brothers and one of them would draw on the album covers. So now flash forward, you look back and you go, dude, that was the Beatles. Uh, yeah. Hello, <laughs> we're the Beatles album or my whatever. Took, my, my parents had meet the Beatles and my sister wrote on it. <laughs> yeah. Cricket loves George Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh why, why are you doing that? But you know, that was like, um, that was our internet too. Yeah. That was, that was, cause I, 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 I look back on all that now, especially with vintage toy collecting and the stories that were told after a classic movie, I didn't get into the books. I didn't know the books existed. And then I feel dumb when these guys are having this really cool conversation and you're like, what is that? And they're like, well, that was the book that came out two years after the movie. Well, I didn't know. Yeah. I was not in the know. My internet, my, my feed was my older brother, like you said, coming home with this Black Sabbath album. So I guess in some ways my preferences for music were shaped by what was handed down because I had no way of knowing what was out there, you know? The the network was small. Yeah. And uh, so it was weird because you'd have... My mom had um, like maybe some gospel stuff or maybe some really old country stuff. Patsy Cline... Um, Elvis, like you said, Beatles. And then my dad had like some blues and some Hank Williams and it was like this wild mix. Yeah. And then there'd be an Eagles record, a Rod Stewart record. And then something that you would, then you'd find something that was familiar. Cause you'd go, Oh yeah. Okay. I heard that on the radio. Cause I'd listen to them all right. and some of them, I wouldn't know what it was. So I instantly don't like it Yeah, because I don't know it. Or I'd catch something and go, wow, I really like this. My parents, I grew up in a house where my parents I mean, my dad loved Pat Boone. That was okay, his yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, white belts, all that. Um, Johnny Mathis, things like that. And and they they stopped buying records before they had kids. 
So everything yeah. in our house was just yeah. old and it wasn't things that we were hearing on the radio. So I didn't grow up in that kind of house. We all came to music kind of on our own, you know, yeah. and it was through friends and it was through brothers and sisters yeah. and just listening to WLS on the way to yeah. school. My mom taught at the school I went to. So Larry she Lujak. drove me to work. So listen to Larry Lujak <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was like, you know, I will survive. And I just, there are songs that I still remember that cause you just hear them every yeah. day. Um, that's crazy. I was thinking about that too. When you said that. <laughs> Uh, what was animal it? stories? Animal stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I had some records of that. I mean, when we opened the store, you know, because we started with my collection, it was just an easy way to, to oh, open yeah. the store. Oh, you yeah. know, I had a, amassed a pretty. So, yeah, I mean, I sold. I, I stopped selling my own stuff because yeah. you start to miss some of this. Like, oh, right. I, I, I figured I'd just be able to get it all back. And at a point, you're like, I'm never going to see this again. <laughs> that, that'd be tough. Yeah. The, um, what do you call it? Uh, I was. I was just having a fleeting thoughts when you said that, like Steve Dahl, Gary Meyer, yeah, um, Brand Meyer, you know, all those guys. And later on when you said um, Cassidy, so you had Danny Bonaducci later on that had yeah. radio shows for years. So I, so I enjoyed a lot of that. So then it was like, whatever was on the radio was just what you listened to. And if you didn't like it, you switched the channel. But you know, when we were kids, there was probably five good stations in the area because we were getting Chicago radio maybe something from Michigan once in a while or somewhere in Indiana. Um, so it was predominantly those big time Chicago guys. And my dad would later on the radio would listen to like oldies. He really loved oldies, but then there was the Pat Boone and things like that too. Uh, but then, like I said, so my brothers, they're like uh, nine, eight and seven years older. So then it would be this wild double album cover blue oyster cult and it had this crazy imagery i remember uh it was a i don't think it was a double album but it was a double cover and i think it had don't fear the reaper on it and it was a woman in like black satin holding this white glowing cross and i'm like and we were like kind of religious family and yeah. i was like this is scaring the heck out of me like what the <laughs> hell is this but the songs were kind of not really matching up with the imagery whereas like a band like black sabbath had the music that matched the imagery and that made it pretty wild, but their, their album covers didn't give me, uh, there wasn't much there, but like, uh, sometimes you'd get these album covers that were mysterious. Like, uh, Led Zeppelin did the album presence mm -hmm. and it was a family sitting around a table and you could see out the window was like a boat at a dock and it looked very staged. And there was this weird little monolithic statue in the middle of the table. And they're all looking at it like, ah, what's this? And it was like this weird kind of, 2001 space odyssey vibe weird <laughs> you know yeah but the music was uh nothing to do with the cover it was no. just like somebody's concept because the album to me was like a really heavy blues album i think they had candy store rock hots on for nowhere or hots on hots on for no one or something like that i'm man i listened to that one a lot there was a lot of real heavy blues on that record and it's a very people don't really know that record no. So it's one of those things just because I think we I think we talked about this, the Columbia House yeah. trap. My brother got caught in that. We had stacks of these albums and he was picking. Somehow he knew who these guys were. But you had to send the cards back again. Yeah, no internet, them. so you had to send the cards he back. You don't send the cards back. in and they're coming yeah. to the house in the box and then you'd open it and listen to it a few times and he'd leave it. Well then I'd come through. They're not around. And my brother, I remember specifically, would always listen with the headphones on. Mm -hmm. So you could, it was like a big secret. Like, what's he listening to? <laughs> he'd be singing all loud and out of key. And um, you'd wait till he'd leave and then you'd sneak it on and you go, oh, this is pretty cool. Well, then my other brother 
played guitar. So then he's into more guitar stuff. That's where the Van Halen came in. Maybe Rush, maybe uh, older Scorpions. And those were big. I mean, once my brother hit junior high, yeah. I mean, that's the stuff that started coming in the house. It was Ted yeah. Nugent. But it you're was, right. You know, his, his, Van Halen. It was Black Sabbath. His, his Ozzy Facebook solo. friends list, so yeah. to speak, got bigger, right? Yeah. Or his whatever you want to call and it. Rush. Rush was, yeah. Yeah, Rush, yeah. Yeah. That, um, that's how you did it. You met these kids and you said, what are you listening to? Because I remember going to junior high school with a Sony Walkman. Actually, no, it wasn't even Sony. It was just a cassette Walkman where I would tape my albums and make mix al- song tapes. And then somebody would say, have you ever heard Dougie Fresh? Yeah. What the hell is Dougie Fresh? Check it out. Yeah. I remember I, I had a neighbor kid, <laughs> early days of hip hop. And, yeah. And, and he was like a year or two younger than me, uh, but he was a neighborhood kid. And he knew, I mean, again, I don't know how people knew stuff without, but he was like on top of everything. Roxanne, Roxanne, Roxanne's Revenge. He knew right, everybody right. who was feuding with everybody. And this yeah. is like 1982, 1983. Right, right, before. Right. How do you even know who was feuding with who and who's... That's so funny, though. I thought about that today, too. It was like um, people talk about uh, all these crazy mass shootings and all this violence. And in the 80s, somehow, some way, the gangs agreed to not have any violence, but they would have dance-offs. <laughs> and I'm like, how did they... But were those real? I mean, it happened in the movie. And I did. I, I want to say it was probably just specific area, neighborhoods, <laughs> yeah. maybe, but it was like, it had to do with the clothing, the culture, the music, the, the, it all went hand in hand, you know? Yeah. And, and I think too is maybe in the early days of anything, in the early days of rockabilly, in the early days of rock, in the early days of blues recordings for the mass consumption, I think there was less choice. So now where we are now, there's so much choice. Right. I mean, back then, I mean, you had to get a record deal. And right. even if it was an indie thing, you had to, or if you had an indie deal or you started your own independent, you still had to get it distributed. You had to get it out. You had yeah. to get ears in front of it. Now anybody can put anything on SoundCloud or wherever and really kind of get yeah. heard or not heard. I mean, yeah. it's hard It's hard to find that stuff that really, you know, you respond to because there's so much out there because yeah. everybody can. But- it's opened it up where everybody can get their stuff out there. Yeah, it's a good point. It's like the record companies in those days wanted wanted either very high-quality musicians to back a star. Yeah. And then they wanted to groom the star to be exactly what they thought America wanted, you know. And then it, it became this... And like, there's still some of that. There's like an obsession with copycatting the hot thing putting a little twist on it. And then, and then I think over the years that started to change a little bit. And as those molds would get broken, somebody would break out for a couple of years and be amazing and awesome and considered genre defining and groundbreaking. And then 5,000 clones would come, but you know, you only had one Elvis, Yeah. but now you have 10 Lady Gaga's, you know, she's amazing, but you have nine other artist trying to be that but i think or you pushed. always had that i mean i mean you had yeah. that when uh when underground music broke in the 90s when grunge you know anybody who's from seattle they signed them and you know some of them are great yeah. some of them you know weren't aren't memorable you can't remember all the names of them but right. there were still great bands and there were great bands that yeah. never got that famous that were still out of the that that was where um when i decided to to uh bring the podcast out of the hiatus. I was like, where do I start? Like, what was a cool period of my life where I had some 
cool stories or anecdotes, you know, or what's, what's some like, did you know facts or some charts or things like that, that I could just read off because everybody's memory would get jogged. Right. It started with the nineties because the nineties were where, even though I came up in the seventies a little bit and the eighties all through, and I really feel like there's some amazing stuff in the eighties and style and music and stuff that came over from, from England and, and all this different stuff. I feel like the nineties were like, you know, they talk about the Pepsi generation, you know, yeah. like that was America's uh, time right there when things were like neon and your, your jeans were cuffed and all, all this different thing, the, the wild hair, it was almost like the eighties extended and then we put our spin on it, but music took all these wild turns and, and, uh, so that's where I started and I was looking at just like what was big, what was on the charts and it was, it was, everything was changing. So you had like, you had hip hop and then you had uh, vanilla ice break through the middle of all that. And then you had, there wasn't a lot of like, I don't know that there was a, a resurgence of classic rock like there is now in the nineties because everybody was doing all this different stuff. But like you, you touched on Seattle. That was something I talked about because I got invited to go to a show at the Civic here because they've redone the Civic and they're having these tribute acts there. And it was a Pearl Jam tribute. And I hadn't really pulled out a, a Pearl Jam album because after the second album, I just kind of moved on. Yeah, It wasn't really, and I said this, it wasn't that I didn't care for the band and I didn't appreciate what they were doing. I just, whatever was going on in my life, I just had to put more time into that than, than taking that time to sit down, like I said, to listen to the whole album. Like if a band that you start following, if you miss an album or two... Sometimes you're just done with them then. Exactly. You're just not you done just, with them, but you never kind of go back. But then if you, you stick with them, yeah. you might have been the biggest you, fan, but you, for whatever reason. You find something else, yeah. you know, and you and you just, and taste change. And and um, so we go to this, we get invited to go out. We go to this uh, tribute, and the band's called Ten. And they're based on Pearl Jam's first album. And I'm just thinking, man, I don't know. That's kind of a tall order. They're not the most... They're not the most musical band, but the way that they put it all together was so specific to them. It's like their own... Just as specific as like Frank Sinatra's voice was just Frank's. And people said that it wasn't so much his voice. It was just where he would put the spaces and take the breaths. Same thing with Eddie Vedder. The poetry and the things he would put together had so much meaning behind it. And the way the bass sounded and the drums were played. And then they played, um, uh, uh, what was the movie? Uh, Spinal Tap with drummers for a while. And then the guitar players, their interplay and, and then you had all these other uh, supporting cast characters with Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. And these are just the big ones. And, and people don't realize that Heart is a Seattle band. Yeah. And why do you think Heart's great? Because there's so many people in their own heads in that place because they're always inside and it's always raining outside. You know, the weather's not known to be Miami nice out there. So that's, that's a big thing for people out there. They're so creative and, and internal, you know, and they, and they have a different way of presenting things and um that was so and also they were kind of cut off i mean before yeah, that's what before, i mean before yeah. i mean uh wipers came out of portland right and, yeah. and, and they were like late 70s you know punk but it wasn't like punk punk i mean it was their own thing because yeah. i mean they're coming out of portland so yeah. they, no they don't sound like anybody else they don't uh and those music uh the, those albums are those first three albums especially are just these perfect little Punk albums, yeah. but they're not punk because you know it's not it's not L.A. punk, it's not it's not '70s New York punk, it's not British punk, but great records, great right. records. It's but the isolation I think created you know yeah. so they you know different kind of universities, Evergreen State College or whatever is out 
in Olympia and, and you had, yeah. you know, artists going there and it's isolated and, but it's all part of a scene and you can't kind of get out of that scene. You know, it's small right. touring. Right. I, um, I'm going to actually visit there this September. I've never been out there. I've been out to the West coast, just never to Seattle. So, um, I'm interested. I'm only going to have like a day or so in town and I'd like to see some of the places that these bands played. And, you know, cause from, from interviews I've heard just even recently from guys that are from that scene, that it's just, it's kind of like around here. It's a small town. There's a few clubs. A couple guys had some studios, and everybody got to know each other because you're waiting in line to get this guy out of your way so you can go in and have your turn. And, right. and then everybody became sort of each other's cheerleaders because you, you. I don't know. It sounds to me like a lot of those guys supported each other a lot because. Oh, and you'd certainly see the bands wearing each other's exactly. shirts, even if like they're not. Totally the same kind of, you know, some are more metal yeah. tinged and some are a little more punk rock and it all blends in the middle. And that, so that band, they were from uh, Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. I can't remember. Somewhere out east. So you wouldn't think east, that far west to east, they would have much in common. Music starts. Sounds so much like the record that I think it's the record. I think that's got to be a soundtrack. This isn't. This yeah. is just an intro. Yeah. The guy starts singing. Sounds just like Eddie Vedder. I'm like, okay, well, they got one, you know, this is kind of low key. Uh, he just got, that's his, that's probably it. He's just blew me away. I was, I, at one point in the show, I was in tears because I had this flood of when I first heard the albums, when I first played the albums in my ba first band and it was terrible, you yeah. know, and, and, uh, I was just like overcome. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, and people at the table with us were like, are these guys good? And I was like, let me tell you, <laughs> I've, I've been watching bands for going on 30 plus years and I'm picky. And that's probably just the, the, part you play when you play in bands and stuff, you become real egotistical and self-centered about your opinions about these stuff. And um, of all the greats that I've seen up close, these guys could hang with any of them because yeah. they, I guess you really wouldn't want the actual Pearl Jam to be that perfect. I, I don't think I like when the actual artists, I don't like when they go way off script, yeah. but I don't like them to be so perfect that they can't have a good time. I don't like the stiff perfection, but these guys, yeah. A tribute you want to see yeah. really close. It was better than <laughs> seeing Pearl Jam almost because everything was uh, just so right. And I, I was, I went home the next day, pulled out those first two records, and just cranked them. I had stuff shaking on the walls, you know, because you want to feel that again, yeah. you know. And I was like, I haven't done this in so long, you know. And uh, it was a great experience. So we're going back this weekend to see a Queen tribute. But I was going to say was. For me, I didn't know, like when you mentioned the, the punk band, I would have never known who that was because I didn't have any friends that were into anything near that other than one guy whose older brother was already in college came home with um, uh, stuff that you wouldn't hear on the radio. So for us, anything we'd hear on the radio, oh, I got that record, and then you, okay, I like it. Now we're hearing Ministry. Now we're hearing, um, who was it, uh, New Order, and the cure yeah. and uh then you'd hear um you'd hear david byrne but you wouldn't realize that that's the guy from talking heads and you'd be like wait wait and you're getting all over yeah. the place you know and uh then things these doors started to really open and then uh but then at the same time the guy had uh we would listen to go through his this was cds by this time and it'd be rush and it'd be maybe a van halen album that i didn't even know existed or um 
skinny puppies yeah. or something. Sound, uh, not, uh, not Soundgarden, um, out of Chicago, uh, Billy Corgan, Smashing oh, Pumpkins, yeah. you know. But it was like early stuff, and you'd be like, "Who? How do you know who these people are, man?" But he's meeting kids from all over the United States who are having the same experience. It's just whatever was going on in their backyard. Yeah. They're just bringing with them, and people are going, what's a buzzcock? That sounds like a porno. Yeah. No, man, it's this crazy band. Check it out. Or the Melvins or all this other stuff, you know? And it's like, I can't say that I liked it all, but I, when I, I'd give it all a try and, and be like, I don't know. I've just always been a top 40 guy, even when it comes to, like, um, metal and different stuff. It's like, I, I, you know, MTV, I would see it on MTV and go, oh, I got to get that record. Oh, MTV you know? turned me on to, I mean, when we first got in like 82, 83, I mean, I saw things and that that really kind of opened me up to music. And there were other things. I mean, it was like Night Flight. Yeah, you remember, you know, yeah. Or they would show uh, this concert movie, Erga Music War, which had all these, I mean, it was like the Go-Go's and the Police and stuff like that. But then it's also uh, Oingo Boingo and, you know, different things. Yeah. And, and I remember seeing Ministry, honestly, when I first got MTV, it was Ministry with Sympathy when they were total synth pop. And I mean, that's yeah. what, and I loved that record. I bought that album. I bought that cassette. And that's like, I liked the later Nine Inch Nails better than I liked. I didn't really care for the first couple Nine Inch Nails, but when uh, Downward Spiral and stuff like that, it's like, I don't know, maybe something connected with me more there, something I heard more than just what whatever was but big on the radio. But new. I mean, I was excited, but I've never yeah. heard this before, and I've yeah. never, like, I'm not a genre person. There's no genre. I yeah. mean, but I like some Scott bands, but I don't think you need to have every Scott record. Not everyone's sure. right. Sure. And everybody's going to respond to different things. Yeah. I don't need every industrial record. I don't need every hardcore record. But there's greatness in all the genres, and it's just yeah. whatever I just respond to. Yeah, and I and I think... That goes right back to where I said, I mean, I agree exactly with what you're saying because, like I said, when I was growing up, there was a gospel album, there was an old school country, there was a there was a Herb Alpert playing the trumpet, which I come to find out later on, he was like one of the number one artists when the RIAA started. He was like one of the first ones that hit all these these really? these benchmarks. And I was like, yeah, I played trumpet, like <laughs> what, you know? But he had his Tijuana brass and he had the there was a beautiful woman covered in like shaving cream on the album cover. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I just remember this being such a salacious thing. With cream like, and other delights. Did you yeah. see, the, did you see the record cover, you know? <laughs> and then we had uh, the beach boys and um, the ventures and then the ventures record. I remember it was gold and it was see, you know, gold. I don't know what material they would have used. I guess it's vinyl, but it was gold and you, you could see through it, but yeah. it was, but it was gold. It was like, what is this? This is wild. <laughs> And uh, later on, you had like the the picture albums. Like I remember, uh, Purple Rain came out with a, it had the picture of the album cover right. on it, you know. And then now it's almost like they redid this stuff again because we went a few a few years back. Uh, we we would always go out Black Friday shopping, and our youngest wanted, uh, well, no, the middle kid wanted a record player. Yeah, he liked Mom's records because we would always on the weekends we still listen to Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, or Elton John. Um, Queen, all kinds of albums in the house. It's like, that's what we prefer. Just put a record on. We like to hear the the record. So we had this cheap little record player and he wanted one. So we got him this little record and we're like, we better hook him up with some albums. Well, they had a sale, um, Midnight, whatever, you know, and we, we got him like Purple Rain and I think I got him a Led Zeppelin record. Um, I don't remember the rest. I want to say four or five records. I think we even got him like a Garth Brooks or something. Because there's, like you said, when we're in the car and something comes on, and to me, with music, 
if it's good, it's good. I, I, I don't really know how to label it. I feel like the labels all started just as a, as a way to sell something to you because you, you found yourself to be intellectually above something to say, well, I'm, I'm into, you know, right. Synth pop or whatever. Well, and it goes Cause I think sometimes we want to pigeonhole ourselves, even though we say I'm unique and I'm yeah, an individual, right. but we pigeonhole ourselves right, right. as small as we can. But then there are people too who are like, no, I only like jazz, you know, which is great. You know, I'm, but to yeah. only like jazz or to only like, you know, to be like I only eat steak or I only like Italian food or it's like, oh man, yep. it's just such a small world. But that's why, I mean, if that makes you happy, I'm not mad at you. I was uh, doing a little homework before all of this, and uh, I was reading where it said that, um, where was it at? I had something in here I wanted to tell you about. It was about trends in album sales over the years, and it was something with with like a like a factoid. I think I have it right here. It said that, well, this this one here, it just says in 2016, streaming services generated more revenue for the music business than album sales, albums and single sales did for the first time in history. And it was $3.9 billion for streaming to $3.5 billion for albums and singles. That's a lot of money. Yes. Billions with a B. That yeah. is crazy. But... Uh, there was something else about the trends when when internet. Well, and I think I think there are I think one of the things that scares me. I mean, so last year Universal, which Universal Music Group owns most of the major label. I mean, they own yeah. everything. It's them and Sony and whatever. Um, they they did a, a pretty huge increase. It was between like thirty and sixty percent. I mean, records that were sitting in their warehouses just suddenly went up. I mean, there there was one record. Uh, that we had that we were selling for thirty two ninety nine. That after the price increase, I'm banging on the table. I know that's gonna. Uh, <laughs> but after the price increase, it goes up to fifty two ninety nine. Oh wow! And then we have to ask ourselves: Can I still sell this record? Do I want to still sell this? Because right. for us, records are an affordable luxury. For 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 me, in in my head, still thirty two ninety nine feels like the high end of what yeah. I would want it to be. Yeah. Twenty three to twenty seven ninety nine. That's kind of you know. So for them to do it, it it made me feel at the time like. Are they trying to kill physical media because they don't? It, cost, it doesn't cost as much to stream stuff, and right, they and they're right. going to make more profit on it because they can still. If they're selling it for ten dollars, their costs on the back end are very low. Yeah. So it's all profit. So it made me feel like Universal was really trying to, crush especially on downloads. I mean, physical that's, media. That's been a big complaint with artists. You know, if they're selling an album for ten bucks, which back in the day we were paying six, yeah. eight, ten, twelve bucks for an album. The artist was getting, you know, a couple bucks off of that, dollar, whatever. They sell a couple million records. They're rich. Yeah. A couple hit songs, sell more records. They didn't have to go on tours. And then it got backwards, and they had to go on tours because they weren't selling albums. And then with the downloads, the big complaint from artists is that, you know, how can we make similar revenue? Because if this is our only revenue stream, which it seems like sometimes, exactly yeah. to your point. Yeah. You you have to make this so I'm still bringing in the same kind of income because you're still bringing right. in the same kind of income. Well, I think we've seen the the flip. You know? I, when I was a kid, you know, it was people would tour and not make money on the tours. They'd break even on the tours, right. but it was just to advertise the record. Right. And the record was where they made money, and right. now it's the opposite. They're right. like, we're not making money on the album. The tour paid but the back. Tours the tours. The tours paid back the cost to make the album. Yeah. 
And then everybody'd be in the profit after that, you know? So, I mean, it's just, I mean, there's still an opportunity to make money, but sometimes it's only for those largest stars, you yeah. know, not the, it, it's, it's hard to be, you know, an up and coming oh, or a yeah. new artist. I couldn't imagine. Just, you know, there are a lot of great independent venues that are supporting young bands and, and a lot of small independent labels. And, and again, people can get their stuff heard. Sometimes it may be a YouTube video or something on TikTok, 30 seconds on TikTok yeah. that might get them heard in ways. There are bands like the Flaming Lips who like, yeah. they're this respected underground band, but they were on the original Beverly Hills 90210. They never right. said no to any opportunity right. to get their brand out there. They never changed who they were. They're weirdos in a great but they, way. But I mean, they had, they had a, a following in the 90s, early right. 90s. You know? But I mean, but, in the 80s too. I mean, they were weirdos from Oklahoma. And even in the 90s, still today, they're weirdos from Oklahoma in a good way. Yeah. But I mean, if they, they would put, they would license themselves for commercials, whatever. They didn't change who they were to do it, which I think is an important distinction. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were, they played the beach pit on 90210. Yeah. You know? the, uh, <laughs> hey. A lot of guys would say that the money would be getting a song in a um, mainstream show during primetime because of the way they would pay the royalty. Yeah. Uh, so those guys would always try to get music on TV. But, you know, it's like I was saying, just recently I downloaded an album for 10 bucks. And, and I'm sure the way that thing is cut up, that artist isn't getting anywhere near what the album, what the production company is getting. Yeah. But like to, to your point, the one key thing that musicians do have today that they didn't have 15 years ago is the ability to get word out better. Because even, even at that point, while people were, were getting the whole Napster thing going, there was still not very many ways to, to be heard. Now yeah. there are so many ways to be heard and not just in America. Yeah. And I can remember some of the bands that I liked in the eighties would break in like Germany or France or England somewhere we would consider weird because their management would say, I got a cousin over here. This is where you guys need to go. Cause they love this. We'll go over here and break you. You'll make some money and then we'll come back over here. And some bands would come over to the United States and have to start all over and have no success. Or they'd start over here and have really good success and go overseas and have no success. Right. And then you had bands in the middle of all that. It was like this big shift in like the mid nineties. I remember the band ugly kid, Joe. Yeah. You know, they had their one big song, MTV song. They made so much money in Germany for tours and they were constantly asked to book these shows and festivals. And they do the big festivals over in Europe way better than we do over here. So these guys are making all this money, all this money to where they all just eventually moved over there and did records over there that we don't even, you, you can get as an import. <laughs> I did not know Ugly Kid Joe was still cut, thing, but. They cut albums and had a multi-year career. But that was always thing about Hasselhoff, in right? Germany, exactly. David Hasselhoff, exactly. huge in Germany. Selling like 50 million records and yeah. selling out stadiums, coming over here, going, getting laughed at because he's drunk yeah. eating a cheeseburger <laughs> well, on, a, and he's night rider, on a video. You know? And he's, night, he's and a night rider guy, you know. But uh, it, the, it's... It got really weird with with everything. They were talking about in this other, in this article where I was reading it. it uh, so, what I talked about before was the medium, and I talked about CDs, and I talked about cassette, and they pinpointed the death of cassette when the death started was 1990 because that was the year it sold the most, and every year after it declined. Yeah. What I found here was that compact discs did the same thing in the year 2000. And every year since they've declined, big part of that would be because of the advent of downloading. Sure. But it's just like, uh, 
I think they're experiencing that with with I don't mean to I don't mean to bring it in like a similarity, but with video games, everything was a disc or a cartridge, and then it went to all disc, yeah, and then it went to downloads, and now it's it's you can see it coming where it's just going to be downloads, mm-hmm. but I think music has come out of that, and it's gone through that, and now it's going back to the physical album sales. And then, like you said, now the companies, it's like, is it greed? Are they trying to kill it? It's kind of crazy because yeah. I remember when. And I don't know that, you know, there was like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. There but. was a time, though, where you could get the bargain bin CDs, and I would always be looking for something that I already owned on album to yeah. have that digital copy that I could take with me or copy or whatever. So I wouldn't mess up my albums. I always cared about my yeah. albums, you know. <laughs> I have some framed. Um, and then you'd have a sleeve where you could just pull it out and listen to it. And, uh, um, six bucks, eight bucks. It was reminiscent of the album prices five, six years, eight years before. Um, I remember tapes, cassettes were so like a, so hot that you would have to go to the place you could stick your hand through yeah. to like look at it, but you couldn't pull the tape out. You had to go get the guy to unlock the thing and pull the tape out for yeah. you, you know? And so they said tapes started to die because every year after 1990, they, they declined. And now they're saying the same thing for CD. But I see everything that it's saying here, and they projected everything in this article that I found through 2023. Since um, 08 and 09, um, when we had the the uh, housing bubble burst and everything like that, and the economy really went to crap, um, up until 2020, everything was going up. And even since then, they've got it projected as climbing uh, by, per, by 3 to 5% a year. And that just tells me that Maybe a lot of the kids that we would see our own or whoever that wouldn't um, kind of know. Maybe there's kids out there, it probably is, that don't even know what albums are. There are kids who come with their parents yeah. and they, they can't believe that that player is making the sound that's coming out of the yeah, speakers. But, yeah. but a lot of our customers are teenagers. Or, you know, we have some customers who are coming with their parents and they're 12 and they're looking for their, and they're finding themselves, who they are, what their yeah, voice yeah, is, yeah, who, their, yeah. who their people are. Um, I remember, like you, you, you said earlier, the radio show being an album. I remember everybody putting albums out of just anything. We've had old things from the 70s, old Saturday Night Live skits, Saturday Night Live. All in the Family put out an album at the time, like for their first season, and it was highlights from, but it was, everything went on, everything went on vinyl. There was, um, there was a TV show. I remember the band, the Dead Kennedys, had yeah. an album that looked like the seal of the United States or something on it. Um, it's really vague in my memory. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but there was a comedy album that looked similar to that. And it was like a comedy troupe. And it was like, everybody's doing all these records with all these album covers that, and, um, Cheech and Chong. And we used to listen to Cheech and Chong all the time. My cousins, we go see my cousins and they, Hey, psst, put this on while the folks are gone, you know, well, Richard and Pryor, is good Cause they would know? have fun with their packaging as well. You know, yeah, where yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the cover would be like rolling papers or right, whatever, right. or the van, and you open it in there. I mean, it was, yeah. you were doing cool stuff with the packaging that was just fun and unique. And then, um, then you had the re release thing happen where it was already an album and they re released it. And then I, it, like, even at Walmart where you'd expect something to be bargain 40, 50, I've seen $75 albums. And I'm like, what is so special about it? It's the same songs. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I, you, you had a great point that I didn't even think of. Like somebody's get, not getting a cut of something. So they say, screw it, kill it. It's too much on our back end. Like we just want the digital, you know, this, the studio stuff that you can do in your house, this device that we're recording on right now, 
you can actually put musical instruments into it and then you can mix in it. Yeah. You can edit in it. There's a different window that opens up. You can do all that in this little device that's, you know, the size of a big ass calculator, you know? And, um, like you said, you can take that, complete it, throw it up on SoundCloud, go over to your Instagram, put out that you have it here, here at the buck or do the, uh, um, Patreon or Patreon or the bands that say whatever you think it's worth paying, you know, uh, who was the band? Um, Fake Plastic Trees is the song. Uh, Creep, uh, Radiohead, Radiohead, right? Yeah. Didn't they do the album where they said, pay what you want? And they called it I like this that. grand Probably. experiment I, online, possible, yeah. you know? Because it's like uh, they want their art to get out there, and there's just so many ways with the internet and these apps, and uh, you can text somebody. I have friends that have, uh, uh, they have like Apple Music, and they'll, they'll send me a song. And then if I like the song, I can buy it, or I can go seek it out on physical. But that's where I'm going is is I love to collect stuff, but I love the thing about with music for me, I can I can it's like it's like all these things in one, and it's so visceral, and you can feel it, you can touch it. It's art, it's music. The music is art. Sometimes it rolls together. Um, everybody used to put their lyrics, or you'd see sort of uh, candid photos of the musicians on the inside, different, different, you know, it's not like they're all done up on stage. You're just seeing something backstage or they're in a writing session or you see their handwriting. Who they're thanking or they're, yeah. You know, you get to know who wrote, who played what, um, who they're thanking, who produced it. And then you start to read everything. You're like seeing these different names on different things. And you start to make connections between, oh, this producer and this is the kind of, this is what he's bringing to the table because he did this with this. And then you hear similarities and... Or you, or you see, you'll see them thanking different people in the notes, or you'd see somebody on production that you thought was an actor, or you thought was would never be a guy that would work with a band like this, or, or different things yeah. like that. All, all this different stuff, and it just made such a complete experience that those, those what do they say? If you know, you know, yeah. right? Like... I think that I was missing that experience for a long time. So you're like a peddler of the experience rather than a guy that has (laughs) a record store, you know, it's like, because it's like such a, it is, it's such a, it just takes you over. You know, I just, I just, I keep going back to that because you'd, you'd get that thing and you rip it open you flip it open and it's like that gold, that, that, the light hits your face, you know, and it's like you're reading stuff and you're listening and you're taking it all in and it just means more. And when everything went digital and plastic, um, I don't know, you just didn't really have that. You know, you, you get a digi, uh, album cover or whatever they called it. Did you, I can't remember what they called it. And, uh, you're squinting to read on the screen and you can't, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's a different, uh, it's a different, uh, so 2023, going back to 1993, I worked in a record store, but it, we never had one album in there. One, not one record. It was all CD, all cassette, all VHS, uh, yeah, that, all video right. disc. Um, I, I started there shortly after it opened. I, I think they laid a bunch of us off and then it closed shortly thereafter. It was down by the lake at, uh the outlet mall and they sold comics and t-shirts and sports cards and things like that. It was a really cool concept of a store, but looking back on it now, I'm like, wait a minute. Wow. We never sold one album. I, I specifically remember cause I did some of the purchasing too. Yeah. And they'd give you the book 
from the supplier. Here's what's coming out. Here's what you can get. We were selling um, the bodyguard soundtrack like hotcakes that yeah. year. Getting more of those, I guess. And eh, here's this. And I'd sneak in some stuff I thought I knew was cool or somebody asked about or special orders. And it's cassettes, you know. Yeah. It was. And I can't remember when I stopped seeing. Because, I, I mean, I started with records. And then, you know, I had a paper out, so I'd either record them onto tape or just start buying cassettes because I did have a Walkman as well. I'm doing my paper yeah, route, you know. Yeah. And then eventually to CDs, but I don't remember because I was less focused on records at that time. I've always had a record player. I've never not had one, but there was a period where I was less focused. Just I, uh, I, lost, I lost all my albums. But I can't remember when I stopped seeing you know, in my college record store did still sell records, you know, and like it was the like they almost got snuffed but, out yeah. of existence. But, almost. But it was like little independent record stores it that was. really kept it going. It and, was. And punk rock labels, you know, independent labels always pressed on, you know, Matador records kept pressing vinyl, Discord records kept pressing vinyl, yeah. you know. And and I can remember um some of the uh like Barnes and Nobles would have some albums and you think that's really weird. They've got, oh, they're used. How'd they do that? You know, or I would, I would get albums at the library. Yeah. Me too. And check them out and get in trouble for keeping them too long. <laughs> we try to tape them. And, and, uh, I remember getting stuff like Jesus and Mary chain and Billy Bragg and they, they would have XTC, you know, they had really good I stuff. I had a neighbor that was really big in XTC. Um, so it was, it was really cool. So you guys have the store. You've been, you said uh, four years now, right? Four years. Yep. So what happened during the pandemic had to really scare the hell out of you guys. It did. You know, we were. I, I know you were doing like curbside stuff, weren't you? We, we did. You were, it, doing, you were trying to do a lot of different things. I remember watching the. Um, I mean, we were, from, you know, we were kind of like, whatever happens, it's all great. As long as the store is paying for itself, we don't really care. You yeah, know, yeah. We're, we, we luckily had a, a year under our belt. So we had built up some good grace with people. And, yeah. But we didn't have a website. We didn't do anything. We, uh, because we could easily take our, uh, our inventory from our POS system and put it onto Google Drive. We just put our inventory on there and had people, if you want something, let us know. We'll do curbside cool. yeah. while we worked on a website that would. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it forced us to do a website. Right. It's, uh, but, but, but it was never, I mean, we kept busy. It was never yeah. that scary. You know, we figured, you know, whatever happens, you know, our toes are still tapping. You can, you can order online. Yep. Right. Did you guys have to we use. We would have it shipped to our house. Okay. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, all the distributors were cool with that. And they would yeah. ship to the house. They want to still make money too, right? Yeah. So they would probably be okay. But, you know, um, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, you have a business that's this medium. This, it's not the primary thing you sell, but it's, it's the heart, you know, it's, it's, it's records. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, that's what we sell most of. It's, yeah. It is, it's like you said, you had a year under your belt and this thing happens where people can't come anymore. Yeah. And it's such a go and look through and, but we deliver it because people still you know, want it because they're stuck at home. Yeah. So they want it, and new records yeah. still came out. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Everybody was talking about recording albums. You know, that's another thing with technology. You know, I can record my parts at my house, send it to you. You can record yours at your house. Yet all these artists still continuing to do that. Um, there's a lot of people out there that didn't know they could do that, but it's like, yeah, they've been doing that for years. You can yeah. just, I can just send a buddy in Florida that plays drums. Here, man, I made some guitar tracks. There's a click on there. You can keep time to it, send it back. I'll produce it and put it up on my website and whatever. But you're, you're, you're like hard goods. You're selling this, I, this thing and, and you have to shift and you guys made it through it. We did. 
and now we're <laughs> now we're two years out of it. It's officially over, and, and um, I wanted an album that I slept on the date that it came through, and I messaged you, and you're like, yeah, that was yesterday. And I was like, oh, no. But then you found it, and you got a hold of me, and I got yeah. my record, and uh, I'm going to actually use that record to do an unboxing. Yeah. And I have the original CD from 1993. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show the original CD and talk about liner notes, talk about the sales, talk about any awards that won, just do kind of like a little history of that. Not necessarily the artist so much as just the album itself is like, check this out. And I open it up and it's a special red vinyl and they only made 7,000 copies. And uh, there was a store online in Pennsylvania or something. And they had like 200 of them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing's over a hundred bucks. What's going on? Like, I think the retail on it was over a hundred. Yeah. So the the MSRP and I'm like, oh my gosh, but enough people wanted it. 7,000 is not so bad, but you know, 1976, 7,000 records was a drop in the bucket. 2000, 6,000 albums. You're, you're canned. You're off our label. You're not selling. Get out of here. Well, 2023, 6,000 albums is like charting. You're like, Hey, number 12 this week, (laughs) you know, um, it's weird because again, the numbers, you know, on, um, downloads of songs, somebody, somebody, um, everybody's favorite band to hate Nickelback. Yeah. They had a song that was brought up in something political they chose not to comment, so they would stay out of it because they're like, for one thing, we're in Canada, and for another <laughs> thing, we don't do that, so we're we're staying out of it. And their manager called them at the end of the week. In one week, seven hundred million downloads, seven hundred million worldwide, because this thing was so polarizing that the joke was the meme with them. People were like, what What is that? So everybody's clicking. Right. Click, 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 share, share, share. So maybe they didn't make any pennies off of the 700 million, but there's that many clicks and downloads and sends 700 million. And you think, wow, that's almost a billion. And it's like, that's nothing anymore. My yeah. kid probably does a billion texts <laughs> in three months or whatever. But, you know, I'm, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm joking, but it's, it's like those numbers are so, it's so crazy. But then it's kind of like... Um, 2012, so I, I love Van Halen. 2012, Van Halen had a new record come out. They were almost number one, but the company that had Adele's album decided to shift her release date, so it pushed them to number two, and it was like 300,000 copies, which was a lot. Yeah. But, you know, 500,000 is gold in a millions platinum. Yeah. But then they changed those numbers for a little while. So it was like, had that been 1983... Um, when the album 1984 came out, that thing's 30 million albums or something crazy now. Yeah. And your, your biggest artists, they're, they're in the hundreds of millions. It's just crazy to think all the albums they sold. And some of the bands in the 70s, and um, I think I was reading something about Whitney Houston. It was like 7 million albums in the United States alone in one year, her first year of the second album or something like that. Um that's so many yeah. things moving at a time when we look back and go, we didn't have GPS. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> we didn't have the, the ability to, to put something on Google Drive and, and, and hang on. So now you can take the, the best of what people want from the mists of the past in these tech of the future, and, and, and it can but help you. The, the, the funny, uh, it's not that funny, but the, the, the flip side of that is sometimes like, cause people, sometimes people know that records are popular. They're, they're becoming popular again. Oh, they're back. They're coming back. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're back, but, um, yeah. but they'll bring in their collection 
and and they'll be like they just expect everything's worth a hundred dollars because but it's, oh they want to sell it to you right they just want, but you yeah. know it's stuff like Frampton comes alive and there's nothing against that record but it sold so many there are so many out yeah. there that it has no value because you know there's so many I, out I, there I saw a pristine copy of that in a Goodwill for a dollar fifty yeah and it was pristine like and I passed on it because I'm like <laughs> I think everybody's had like three copies of right. this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, but like a big album, like Thriller doesn't really an original copy doesn't right. have a ton of value. Cause, right. cause he sold so many, right. I've so many available 40 million or something crazy in that, in the first year worldwide, something yeah. on that one. Um, and, and then the, the, you know, Elvis and the Beatles and, um, there was other records that were set by artists since the RIAA started basically counting stuff, um, that, uh, the, the number of people with like number one singles and things like that. Um, some of these artists aren't even alive anymore and they still have these records, but also like the way things are measured anymore and awarded and the way the sales are, it's just a bygone era. We're just moving forward. But uh, the digital thing, um, because I I know some guys that are songwriters and things like that, that always ticked me off because I always wanted those guys to get their due even though I, by my own admission, I did download some stuff because it was all this new thing coming at you. And um, just after a while, I was kind of like, you know what? I'd rather just buy it. It helps the guy that helps these guys out. I wish I could do that someday. Yeah. I would hate if somebody was doing that to me. I'm going to buy it. But flash forward, like I said, I had this incident happen where I lost my albums, didn't have anything to do with vinyl for years. My wife and I got together and she still had these cool records that I didn't have. She had Elton John records I didn't have. And she had like five or six. Like, I didn't even know he sang that. What is that? It was really good stuff. Like the, you can't deny that he's a great songwriter, you know, and uh, the Fleetwood Mac stuff. And she didn't know that Fleetwood Mac was basically at one point considered like heavy rock, blues rock. Like, Oh, and they start out a you completely don't, different band. Yeah. Than, like than they were the like, band. Yeah, they, they were like wild, you know, it was like, she didn't know that because she's into the rumors era and the and the Stevie Nicks and all that. And it's like, no, check this out. And she don't like that. I'm like, Judas Priest covered Fleetwood Mac songs, you know, and they're, those guys are like heavy, heavy music, you know. But they they didn't sound like that at the beginning. And and, and then they, you know, I, I kind of grew into more aggressive music. I liked every, I liked just about everything that came out in the 90s. I really just thought it was a great time for for something new and fresh. But I always liked the feeling that I got from hard rock music. But like Nine Inch Nails gave me that. But then I liked New Order because I liked the textures. Yeah. And I didn't know that some of those guys had been in this other thing. Joy Division. Joy Division, you yeah. know. So I was like, oh, cool. And then you've got Eurythmics. And then you've got um, uh, Depeche Mode. These guys are great. But then you had the anti-Depeche Mode, KMFDM. Kill, <laughs> Kill motherfucking, motherfucking Depeche, Depeche Mode. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, hey, this is wild, man. It's, it's like it was just a wild time. And... um but that's what I think people should do. I think when kids or if somebody says, where should I start with music? Whatever they start with, whatever genre, I don't care if it's gospel, if it's rock, if it's country, the first artist that you listen to, or if it's an award-winning artist and it's this real popular song and you, you say, oh, I want to hear the rest of the record. I think you should try to just dig a little deeper and see who they were influenced by and then go listen to some of that. Cause for me, I've, i I wanted to play guitar, so I'd read the guitar magazines, and it'd be, you know, Jimmy Page on the cover that month. And Jimmy Page would say, well, I did this with Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton, and right. they like this guy and this 
Hubert Sumlin and this Muddy Waters and B.B. King. And I'm like, wait a minute, B.B. King. I got that record because my dad had that record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, well, you know, and you like know, even people like these guys, like uh, Jimi Hendrix had a favorite guitar player. I, I, I've always read, and I don't know if it's true, but I mean, I'd read that Billy Gibbons was his favorite guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got and, their favorites. These greats are still like, I wish I played like Billy him. Billy Gibbons is just, I was going to ask you to close this out about like, records you could take on an, on an island and stuff like that. And like Billy Gibbons, um, he, he just did, he did a uh, solo record two summers ago. Yeah. Really good record. And he's using like Matt Sorum who played with Guns N' Roses and all these other guys were on there and, and girls from the B-52s sang backups on a couple songs. And, and it's just like, he's just so good, so smooth. And he tells stories about Hendrix when he was in this band and had this song and him and Hendrix would get high and do all this crazy stuff with <laughs> color and sponge and light and just crazy guitar playing. And, and then you read these other stories about when um, Jimi Hendrix was in the military, uh, the guy that played with them in Band of Gypsies on drums said, to be honest with you, he wasn't the Jimi Hendrix that everybody knew later. He wasn't that good because he would spend time in the studio, he'd write the songs, and he'd get to do it over and over and over. He didn't have that live thing down anymore. He kind of lost his mojo for a little while. So he challenged himself by going over to this other barracks and there was a guy in there who was technically better than him, but he had none of the flair and show because yeah. Jimmy had played backup for, um, who was that? James, James Brown, Brown. Yeah. wasn't it? And he, he started doing the little flair. He, you'd see him throw his arm, but it was unusual because he was left-handed and things like that. And then uh, the guy said he really got his mojo when he started battling this guy and every night they would have a battle of the bands i'm like could you imagine jimmy freaking hendrix like i want to i want to go against you and you're going what the hell's going on but he wasn't the jimmy hendrix that he was later on you know right. and uh then he did the um the live album from new years of 70 to 71 and the plane that's on that that album i think there's eight songs they did two nights and so the one night was bad because everybody said he was really under the influence and it was pretty, pretty rough. But the other night that they did the set is just some of the most incredible playing for 1970. You're like, how the hell did this guy know how to do these things? And then later on you hear, you've got, you've got your Van Halen and Yngwie Malmsteen that came over. How did these guys figure this stuff out? Right. And then I saw this interview on 60 minutes or something one time with Brian May from Queen and he's doing this crazy fast stuff that you don't hear him do in Queen. Mm -hmm. You're like, how does this guy, what planet? But it's not even the guys that always that, that it's play just, fast. It's, the, it's, not, it's not even to that. To hear yeah. Mark, Mark Knopfler play, exactly. and he can move around a lot. But, I mean, There's, those early Dire Straits albums and just his yeah. guitar playing, it just, I mean, it makes me excited to be alive. Just the smoothness or David Gilmore yeah. from Pink yeah. Floyd. I mean, these There's careful solos doing. that you would do. Like David Gilmore, like he would do something that was just like where his hand is, there's only like four little notes, but the what he's doing, yeah, it's just, it's indescribable. It's just, there's like, it's like most, most guys, when they get to a certain level, it's like speaking, you have a voice or a singing voice and it comes through your guitar playing and everybody's got their voice, you know? So like you listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan, there's guys that can play like that and sound like that, but they can't. They, they don't have his voice. They can or, play or, the notes, but exactly. not, it's not going to exactly. be the same That's yeah. exactly right. You can play the notes, but the feeling, you know, and, and, and the guys the guys in Rush, and you can learn the song, but you're just not going to get it perfect. I mean, you can play, uh, you can play a, a police song, 
but you can't hit the drums like Stuart Copeland. You're just not going to sound like Stuart Copeland. You're not going to come up with those drum parts. You're not going to hear them the way Unreal. that he And did. Andy Summers, another one. Yeah. He he did other songs on his own that showcased the side of his playing that was just unfathomable that it would ever be in a police song. Mm -hmm. But those guys were writing songs for the song. And then there's, you know, there is an element where they do need to be somewhat commercial because that, you know, people say, well, you're sellout and underground this and that, but it's like, well, I need to make it a career. So I do have to do something that people are going to want, yeah. you know, and I can put in my little things here and there. And the best example of that, that I could think of would be like Rolling Stones. Yeah. It's a straightforward song, but they're putting something in there on that backbeat on the drums that you just can't find anywhere else. And there's something over here on the guitar going on and Mick's voice had this weird swagger that nobody else had. It's just like jump forward, Eddie Vedder again, he had this weird, weird baritone thing with a high pitch. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, you know? And then there's so many guys like that. I thought that for the nineties, this, uh, well, we can talk about strong singers. So you could say like Iron Maiden. Okay. Well maybe this guy's not an Iron Maiden fan, but listen to what the guy's doing vocally. It's like, it's like opera. But then you hear um, maybe there's a deathcore band where it's just growling. Yeah. Some people think that's cool because of something he's doing. But then you had um, Chris Cornell in the middle of all this had, had these heavy riffs, crazy beats, because Matt Cameron is just, he's in Pearl Jam now, yeah. just an amazing drummer. But he's such a powerhouse singer. It was almost like soul singing, you know. To me, hands down in the nine through the nineties generation, Chris Cornell's gotta be one of the top vocalists. Um, maybe not so much what he's saying, it's just how he was putting it down, man. Yeah. So much conviction and power, but um I don't know. You got me you got me excited about music. So I'm gonna be, <laughs> I'm gonna be down at that store. But let's talk about a couple things before okay. we close out. Okay. You're doing a um let me back up in my notes here. We're, you're running a promotion for Riot Fest. So we do this every year. We started, when we opened the store, um, my wife and I used to go to Riot Fest all the time back when it was just in clubs and then they moved it outside. And we would just buy tickets as soon as they went on sale. We'd get the early bird special um, because it's always a great show. You don't know who the bands are playing, but as soon as they announce a lineup, you're like, oh yeah, this is worth the money I spent. Yeah. Um, so we always feel it's just... A great, a great festival every year. So we'd go every year. And then the year we opened the store, we had already bought tickets the previous October or November, whenever tickets went on sale. And we're like, man, we just opened a store. There's no way we can take three days off. We can't close the store for three days. Yeah. So we decided to give away our tickets. So we, we have a punch card that we do. Every $10 you spend, you get a punch, 10 punches, 10% off. And then once you've gotten your discount, you can fill out the back and that's your entry for a drawing for, for the Right Fest drawing. And we've just done it every year. Um, it's kind of, we just love that festival. And so far the people who have won have been really excited. The COVID yeah. year, we did have to, we did have to roll it over one year. Yeah. You know, yeah. One time, but, uh, but yeah, we've been doing that since we opened. We just thought it was a fun, it was a fun little ad. You know, a lot of people do, uh, some of our favorite stores have done like rewards cards and this was just our little ad. But again, it was just, it yeah. was only because we had tickets we couldn't use and we thought it would be fun. <coughs> Excuse me. But the, uh, but the punch card's cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I like to get rewarded for stuff. Yeah. So I came down, I bought something, you gave me the punch card. I actually had enough to fill out a drawing and get in the drawing. And then you weren't even sure if the tickets the were coming out yeah. yet. At oh, because again, usually they come out in November, but yeah. they had the, the neighborhood doesn't love having the event there. They don't get to use their park. And 
whatever the, their their concerns were. So for for the last eight and a half months, we've been saying, you know, we're right. driving for right fest passes. Right. At a certain point, though, I mean, I was getting to the point where I'm not sure this is really going to happen. You know, we might yeah. have to come up with a plan. Yeah. B, but we did not. We so did not. It's uh, it says riotfest.org. It's uh, September 15th, 16th, and 17th, 2023 at Douglas Park in Chicago. Great lineup. They announced line. I think it's a great lineup. Got, There's a bunch of band, crass, uh, and, but the, the headliners are like Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Postal Service, and Death Cab for Cutie. The Cure is going to be there. The Cure. Mr. So a lot of Bungle. people couldn't get uh, Cure tickets because they were doing uh, a lottery for them. Yeah. They were battling Ticketmaster and doing all that stuff. I, I was looking through all of the all of the artists that are playing, trying to figure out if I had the breeders, if I recognized anybody. I mean, you've got Parliament Funkadelic with George Clinton, uh, Annie DeFranco, who I was surprised was so far down the bill, but Hey, if you want to see her, um, Mr. Bungle, uh, they're pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. Um, who else was? Oh, Insane Clown Posse, who I Which think... Which was a surprise. Usually, Guar seems to play just about every year, so I don't know if that's I, the Guar. Yeah, yeah. I think that in. Insane Clown Posse, because I listened to the podcast from one of the guys, um, he said that they think this is going to be their last year. So, if well, you, you know, want, I think stuff like if you've great. never so, seen those guys and you want to catch them, they actually somebody have... Somebody who's an ICP fan is going to spend they, a whole three days... They actually have some catchy hip-hop music... Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of their stuff. It's not, it's not, it's, it's decent. Um, Get those juggalos out there. The juggalos, awesome. yeah. There was, uh, who else was it I saw in here? There was somebody else. But any, oh, AFI. Yeah. A fire inside, right? Those guys were big for a while. But there's a bunch of old school stuff, Steve N Ignorant and Crass. Uh, yeah. But also new stuff, newer stuff, Viagra Boys. There's a lot of great stuff. It's, yeah. I think it's a good Corey idea. Feldman. Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman. Yeah. I was surprised to see that on there. <laughs> but, uh, and then um, what, uh, how can somebody find you? So Instagram, right? Instagram, Facebook, we're Static Age MC on, uh, on social media. You can order online. You can order online. Um, our, our order, I mean, we are set up for in-store pickup, but people have reached out to us, you know, hey, I'm in Pennsylvania yeah. and you've got this record I can't find anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we'll ship. We'll we'll figure it out. Just I mean, we, we can send invoices from and you did me right. I mean, you hit me back up and said, "Hey, if you're still interested oh, in the album, I got my hands on." We're one, always which on record I, store day. We have people if there's something yeah. you missed out on, if we can get it, we we can't get everything right, afterwards, right. but if we can get it, we will. Cuz um, you know, we uh we do a survey every year for record store day. As soon as they put out the list, we take a couple days, and it does take a couple days, to put together a survey of everything yeah. that's being released. And then we send it out and say, if you're coming to our store, I mean, if, you're, if you live in Pennsylvania, you know, yeah, and yeah. you're going to a store in Pittsburgh, please don't fill it out because... Right. Not, but, you know, so, so we try and buy. We can't hold anything as part of Record Store Day, yeah. you know. There's no right. pre-orders. But it gives us a sense of what our customers or what the people in our area are looking for. So yeah. it's a vital tool for us. Yeah, and I mean... But it does... So we only had one person ask for the Macho Man, Randy Savage... Um, and man, we had a dozen calls. Man, did you get the Macho Man? Did you get the Macho Man? He did a rap album. You never know. You never know. Didn't he do? He did a rap album, didn't he? I, I don't even know what, think that's what's what on is. the album. To be honest, he, he, it was um, it was a early mid '90s rap album, and it was mainly uh, his hatred for Hulk Hogan because he had a real <laughs> a real life beef with him that they ended up squashing. But at that time, it was really hot. So ninety percent of the songs were his hatred of, <laughs> of Hogan. Of Hogan. Um, 
he he wanted to fight him. And I mean, in this day and age, they probably would have made money having a celebrity boxing match. Oh yeah, he could have said it was for charity and still paid those guys. But uh, so, just so you know, I call it fight the fear. My big thing was, you know, when you when you want to do something big or or just something out of your ordinary day. There's, there's a fear, right? There's a fear of failure. There's a fear somebody's going to make fun of me or not like it. Or I want, you know, I want you to like it, but I have to be critical enough to say, if it sucks, move on. No, no, when something sucks. I've met several people, especially with music over the years who were really, really not cut out for what they were trying to do. And it, you, you don't, it's cringe. You don't want to tell your buddy dude, you suck. Like, right. don't do this. Like either go practice for a year solid or just stop. But you know, we usually don't do that to people. So I do that to myself. Yeah. So when I say fight the fear, it was more like for a few years, I wanted to do something where it was like, uh, uh, something, you know, something, what, what could bring a smile to somebody's face like music, you know? So I used to do photography. You got to smile for the camera. So you got yeah. no choice. Um, uh, music, hopefully it was good enough that somebody could sing along and they enjoyed the moment. And, and I did, I did have those experiences with a lot of people. So then I was like, with a podcast, I was like, how can I convey that? And so if they see fight the fear, they might think, well, maybe that's like a religious thing or maybe it's like fear in your life. It's, it's more or less like what you did. There was a time in your life when you, when you said, this is what I want to do. So what I wanted to know was like, how did you break through that? To say, all right, I'm doing this. Give me, we got the keys to the store. We're going. Yeah. Here's my collection to get started. What, well, what was that moment? So, so I, I, I had a career prior to this in craft beer. I, uh, I started, I was a salesman for a craft beer distributor. I went to work for a brewery, covered 11 states in the Midwest. And I came back to the distributor as the, the state sales manager. Um, so you definitely I, understood supply I, yeah. chain. And but I was on the like road, that. you know, visiting breweries across the country, Europe. Uh, wherever I'd go, I would, uh, go to the record store. So, you know, and I'd come home with records and I right. built a pretty respectable collection. Right. Um, and my wife had also gotten into to art. She does some jewelry and she does needle felting, which is very time consuming. Just takes forever to do these little things. And, you know, she started selling them at things and she kind of wanted to open a store. So I'm like, well, it takes too long to, to do needle felting. So we can't base yeah, a whole store yeah. on that, but I've got this collection. We can start selling it. We can open a record can store. have that available too. Um, and that's kind of what we wanted to create. You know, our store for us is like, it didn't exist in Michigan city. Everything we couldn't buy in Michigan city are the things that we're, that yeah. we're fans of. Not yeah. everything. We, there's still tons of stuff we can't yeah. buy in Michigan city, but things that we're fans of. Yeah. So that were never, uh, I mean, after the, the mall had the day, the heyday with the music stores, there were no more anymore. You're going to the big box store and just picking through their top 20 or something. It wasn't, uh, and it's not to say that everybody's looking for every rare thing. I'm looking for mainstream Van Halen yeah. stuff. You always have something there. It doesn't, oh. it doesn't mean you like it or don't like it. It just means that I can find what I want there, you know, or there's rush or there's something off kilter that I'm like, Hey, what's that? I might grab it or pull it up. And here's another thing I can pull it up online and see if I like it and go, yeah. you know, I'm getting that record, you know? Well, we're fans of a lot of different styles and that's kind of what we want to represent in the store. We're, you know, we like a lot of genres. We like a lot of different stuff. We, uh, and that's why we focus more on new because we can, we, yeah. we can really yeah. get a bigger variety. Um, otherwise if we just had to, to limit ourselves to what people are bringing into us, you know, sometimes that would yeah. make our it's reach cool a that smaller. you do that though, because it could be those rare times where it's not, um, uh, 
it's, it might be a Peter Frampton record that that is worth something. Yeah. It might be that Scorpions record that was, oh, yeah, they had the, that, that was the one era. Or, you know, it, it's um, a lot of places won't do that. Yeah. So it's it's cool that you guys do that. But uh, let's let's finish it off with with I had a little game to play with you okay. and I wanted I had to warn you earlier because yeah, I didn't want you to well, be it, it cold on this. I wanted you at the time. I wanted <laughs> you to think about it because I had to think about it too. And then uh and then you brought up Billy Gibbons and I thought, "Oh crap, I got to add him in there." But I, See, that's why it's so hard to come up with because I, there's like 50 other people I could <laughs> say for anything. Yeah. So so the big question here was an album that came out in the last three years that you would just recommend to people that they should that they should at least hear maybe yeah. maybe not even own but just that something you thought is is good enough that people should hear the the the, the records that immediately came to mind that's kind of what I wrote down there's I mean this this last year the new band they they got a lot of hype as they were coming out as their record was about to come out and it's like oh can this band really live up to the hype and they did it was one of the best records of the year as far as I was concerned but wet leg wet, wet leg. leg self titled one of the best records. Um, also there's a new artist, uh, she's, she's originally from Cincinnati, uh, lives in LA now, self-taught violin player, but she does R&B, she uses her violin. Her last album was Athena, and I think that came out in 2019, so that doesn't, that doesn't. Oh, they're giving us the cut, the countdown, they, oh. you gotta stop 15 minutes before they close. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but Sudan Archives, and she had a new record this year that is, uh, Natural Brown Prom Queen. And that okay. is a brilliant record. Okay. Um, and then there's a band, Shame. Their first record is one of my favorite ba- favorite records, uh, Songs of Praise, one of my favorite records of the last 10 years. Um, they've done two records, two great records since then. But okay, but yeah, those those. I had ones. I had just one. Um, it's called Mammoth WVH, and it's you got that at the store. It's Wolfgang Van Halen's uh, album. He's Eddie Van Halen's son. So everybody was online giving him flack oh you're a superstar's kid it's not gonna be that good he's been playing with Van Halen for a decade when he was 12 years old he started rehearsing (laughs) with his dad and when he was 16 uh he brought his brother Alex over and he said go ahead and play and he starts playing behind this wall and he says who the hell is that and he moves the little partition thing and it's his nephew and he's like what the hell the kid's in the one of the biggest bands ever and at age 16 you know yeah. But anyway, his album, uh, I just thought that first album, because he's on his second album now, um, he did it all by himself. All the all the uh, instruments and songs, uh, the songwriting, the singing, it's just really good rock music. It's um, not over the, that doesn't beat you over the head, but it's really good. I think he was, he had, he was number one on some charts uh, quite a bit. He had a tribute song to his dad and stuff, but that, that was my pick, Mammoth WVH. And then uh, the next question was, one song that everyone should know. One of my favorite songs of of all time, and it's from the 80s. Uh, I just think it's a great song. It's New Way Side. It's uh, uh, Never Say Never by Romeo Void. Uh, I mean, it's a great song. Queens of the Stone Age covered it about 20 years ago. It was right at the rated R period that they did. They put out an EP and they covered it. And their cover was great. It's just a great song. All right. I had the song Indifference from Pearl Jam. Uh, That's on the second album, Verses because they brought in uh, the keyboards really heavy on that. And it was just a very layered song. But then I had a second pick was Love Song from The Cure. I just always that, liked that, that is, I, I've always loved that song because it's, it's lyrically, you know, just simple, but it is simple. so sweet. I mean, yeah. it was his and gift to his wife uh, for his wedding. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, it's beautiful. I love that. 311 did the sort of ska reggae kind of feel cover of it. And uh, 
Fifty First Dates. Uh, yeah, was that? Yeah. yeah, and I played it in cover bands, and just it's a really cool song. Uh, the next one was three must own albums. I put for every occasion in life, but I guess just overall three three albums that you think everybody should own. I and here's where I kind of lost my mind because <laughs> I mean I'll just say three, but I, I've got about twenty on here. <laughs> I mean, there's I've got because I again I love New Wave, but there's like like Wire's first couple records were so influential. Oh, Wire, Jesus, Repeater. I mean, when yeah, thirty years later, when Repeater comes on and just that opening. I get excited. Gosh, I get butterflies. You really jogged my mind with wire. Um, but yeah, I mean, chairs missing and pink flag are, are just too great. Uh, Oingo Boingo, good for your soul, nothing to fear. But if I had to pick three, the three I'm picking, uh, DJ Shadow, Private Press. It's just a great record to put on no matter what kind of mood you're in. It's a big record, double album. You can okay. listen to it. Uh, Fishbone, Truth and Soul. Right. Very diverse record. A lot going on. There's some ska in there. There's some soul. There's some metal in there. A lot of stuff okay. going on. Um, and big black songs about fucking, <laughs> which I mean, uh, actually a kid, I, I remember when I was in college, a kid gave me a cassette, it was a recorded cassette and it was fishbone on one side, truth and soul and big black songs about fucking. And they became two of the most important records of my life. That's how I mean, it happens. I still sometimes. listen to them 30 years later. Uh, my three were Van Halen's fair warning because, Great record. because at the time that was their only album that had, uh, all original music. Every album up until then had a cover or a piece of music that was previously written yeah. by another artist. Uh, Rush, Moving Pictures, because yeah. when I heard it, I think up until that point, the only thing I had heard was like on the radio was like uh, uh, Closer to the Heart and stuff like that. But Moving Pictures blew my mind. And then the other one was Led Zeppelin Four. Yeah. Because I just thought Stairway to Heaven and Four Sticks and all this other stuff. The, um, the, the, when the levee breaks, it's got the, the most... It's the most sampled beat ever. Yeah. Um, I just feel like that's required listening. Going back to my first time and my, my first uh, with the, the membership things with the, the record clubs, it was RCA. Yeah. And you'd get four and my sister and I split and my two were uh, Men at Works Cargo and Led Zeppelin 4. Nice. Two I got. Nice. So final question, an album that you would take on a deserted island. Now, a lot of people say an album that you could listen to for the rest of your life. I'm just saying an album you, you could take. I'm yeah. just leaving it open so for me I, I tried to think of it I, I tried to think of something a compilation that's really big and long I tried to think of long records so I'd have yeah. as many or some with a little yeah. uh, diversity but but I struggled so I, I thought about most F black on both sides it's a hip-hop record great brilliant one of the best uh, in, in history as far as I'm concerned and it's nice and long and there's a lot of different stuff there's jazzy elements there's straight hip-hop, there's some rock yeah. and roll in there. There's a song called Rock and Roll, and it's a big metal song. Um, and Donna Summer's Bad Girls. Okay. Because, I mean, I think it's such an interesting record, a double record, yeah. but it's it showcases, it's there's R&B, there's, there's pop, uh, there's slam and disco, and then the electronic stuff, early electronic. Yeah. I mean, there's yep. like four sides to the record, and each side represents, you know, a different yeah. movement. So it would stay interesting the whole time. But I kind of went with the Jam Snap. The Jam was okay, a band out yeah, of England. Yeah. Never got, yeah. never got the props here in the states. But Snap was their compilation, their greatest hits, and it's a big record. I mean, it's yeah. long. I still love it. I've known it for yeah. forty years almost, and and I still love it. I had, um, I thought about like like you were saying, like ZZ Top and all these rock bands. I was like, you know what? It has to be something that I can bop my head to and kind of whistle, hum along to. If I'm on this deserted island, I'm listening to this every day. 
Some of those songs are going to just give me a headache. So it's from 1983. It's a best of album. It's some live stuff. It's some I went studio with best stuff. Of too. And it's Talking Heads. Oh. Because it's so mellow. Yeah. But yet bitey. Yeah. And it's got cool beats and it's got uh, percussion and, and keys and David Byrne's voice is, is pleasant. And I thought I could listen to that every day because I don't because I don't listen to Talking Heads all, all yeah. the time. But the I Talking thought, Heads I listen to the most is Stop Making Sense because yeah. it's the best live it's, album it, for my yeah. the best live album ever. And it's going to be the hit songs. So I was yeah. like, OK, the best These stuff cool right arrangements. Yep. <laughs> but uh, thanks. For, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate no, it. Thank you. I'm, I'm, um, I'm glad you asked me. This since I, cool. And I, you know, I was in the store and I was like, why did I say that? Like, this would be a really cool conversation. Um, when I pulled the podcast out of hiatus it was over a year so you're the first guest so you've got that and i hope you come back sometime we can talk about Anytime. how things have gone even further for this um and i want to continue my collecting so there'll be times where maybe i want to come down and like film some footage of me going through stuff or something yeah. like that but uh, that's what i want to do is continue the collection and i wish you guys the best of luck and I, it's cool that you have it like a it's a family thing and you're, you know, like you said, four years on and you survived one of the, one of the worst, I mean, screw a recession, man. That was just a complete blackout. My yeah. wife, my wife is a solo gig worker. She had to, she had to legally stop working for two months and it crushed. So I can empathize, empathize with what you were going through, but you were looking for ways to work around it and make it happen and you, you did. did so that's that's Cause, really cause awesome we were we were young enough and we didn't know if we'd survive so yeah. we didn't want to do any of the uh the assistance or anything like that we just yeah. kept the store going as well right, you right. know but because it's like we were talking about when an artist cut a record back in the day they had to go through a tour to pay it back yeah so just like any assistance you're taking a loan right somebody wants that back so we, yeah we didn't you, want to owe did, anybody did anything. Yeah. even if they're gonna you know erase some of it or whatever the yeah. deals were but no yeah that's good. awesome man but I, I thanks a lot <laughs> i appreciate it thank you and uh hopefully you come back so um go check out the store get online buy some albums if you get a chance to visit get in there and get that punch that card page record 621 franklin street there you go and get the uh get the punch card so you might get a chance to win some tickets to riot fest and we'll see you guys next time thanks a lot you're listening to fight the fear podcast brought to you in collaboration with hick chick design company at hick chick design we strive to give our customers all of the options to let their creativity run wild start shopping our site today hickchickdesignco.com if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash fight the fear podcast for more information.